This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and of course, welcome to Resource Center. This is your one stop shop for strategies, tactics, tools to better build scale and manage your business.、Um, today, we're going to be looking into the rapidly evolving world of artificial intelligence. And as we've been discussing just with my guest off air a couple of minutes ago,、um, it's a conversation that we've all been having in depth, a lot of us, for the last two years at least.、Uh, I'm joined by two guests. From Microsoft, I have Lee Hicken, the AI technology and policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adila Junid, the director of legal and government affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. She's been here on the show before.、Uh, part of the reason that we're having a second interview. Thank you very much for coming back, Adila. Thank you. Hi, lovely to be here. It's good to have you back、um, today. Then we'll be、uh, hoping to hear from these guys on their insights on how Microsoft is leading the way in responsible AI governance,、uh, especially focusing on the Asian market.、Um, we're going to be looking at how their principles are being implemented within the organization and discuss the challenges and opportunities of aligning AI with ethical and legal frameworks. I guess that's kind of where we are.、Uh, if you have any questions for us, you can get us on our U Mobile WhatsApp number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. And of course, we are on X at BFM Radio. Once again, welcome to the show, guys. Well, thank you for having us. Okay, let's start with a a broad question,、uh, overarching question. So, AI principles in practice.、Um, how do you guys specifically implement? AI principles in your day-to-day operations, and can you give me some practical examples of these? Wow!、Well, let's start with the simple questions then. How, how do yeah, we, of course. How do we sort of compress <laughs> the last seven years of activity into a thirty-second soundbite? No pressure, Lee. No pressure. No pressure at all. So look, it's but it's a really important point because that's actually what matters. Is you know we can all have strong principles about how we think AI should and. Should be used in our lives, and the impact it should have. But you have to take that set of principles into some actionable practices, and then those practices become standards and mechanisms that the business operates on. So that's the journey we've been on at Microsoft since about 2016, when we first sort of penned this idea that technology like AI is going to be、uh, sort of such a deeply influential part of the way our products will operate. Yeah.、Um, so if you kind of break it up into a couple of little steps, you know, to your point about how have we gone down that journey. We started with principles like most people、uh, around safety, responsibility, accountability, transparency, and you know these are phrases probably familiar to your audience. That then became a standard. Now, what that standard just enabled us to say, okay, look, we don't know what AI is going to look like each time we come across it, yeah, but we can address it with the same set of rules. We can go, okay, what questions should we ask every time we see some AI? We should ask ourselves, you know, are we being accountable? Are we being safe? Are we thinking about fairness? And that's kind of what became this establishment of something that's on Microsoft called the Office of Responsible AI, which is this governance process led by Satya and our leadership that basically enforces the whole business to think about making sure that as the sort of the the, the cookie cutter process of making products runs through, we always ask ourselves those difficult and deep questions around safety, responsibility, and, and applying the process. And so, practical examples, you know. Uh, most recently, hopefully, many of your listeners are enjoying M365 Copilot、yep. as a product.、Yep. In order for us to get to from the point of, hey, OpenAI has built this amazing GPT-4 product to here's a Copilot attached to Office and Word, there's a huge amount of mechanisms that we go through: auditing ourselves, 
uh, assessing ourselves, running what we call impact assessments to make sure that we decided we understand what the impacts are, mitigations for that, and then ultimately landing on a product with all of the right guidance and tools that go wrapped around it so that when our customer uses it, they have some level of understanding of not just what the product will do, but also what it might not do. And that's this idea of transparency. Right. I, um, I'll, I'll stop there and let you kind of think about that as an answer. I, I, I'm going to let that sink in for a second. And while that's working its way around my brain, I, I suppose one of the things that um, has come up in, in a lot of conversations is the idea of um, ethics. So we all know we're running down this um, road uh, and, and some companies are doing it kind of like headless chickens because they just want to be part of, of this thing and not be left behind. And it, it brings up a whole bunch of ethical questions, you know, how, and it's not just a Microsoft question. It, it, it's um, anybody who's involved in an AI. And I, I guess, Adila, this is kind of mainly pointed at you that I want to speak to you about. How, how do you balance that pursuit of, you know, technical innovation in AI with the need to adhere to ethical guidelines and responsible AI practices and make sure everybody's included at some point? Right. So I think this goes back to one of the things that, um, we were speaking about the last time I was on the show and we didn't have time to go into that. So that's great that we have this opportunity here and Lee as well, who's got experience across the region in this area, which is that AI is a technology that can help us do things that to a certain extent we've already been doing, right? So a lot of areas of activity, um, of social interaction, business activity are already subject to existing regulations, subject to existing conceptions of what's the right approach in this area of human endeavor, right? And so to that extent, there's not really a need for a, a massive panic because our existing laws and regulations that already govern those areas of activity mm. still continue to apply. And they continue to apply regardless of whether or not you're using AI in doing those activities or not. And, and the example that um, I like to share, because I think uh, the Central Bank of Malaysia, for example, Bank Negara Malaysia, um, has very clear guidelines and regulations on areas of financial transactions, for example, yeah, yeah. credit scoring and risk management. And those continue to apply whether or not um, AI is used. So I think that's kind of the starting point of, of where you'd align your legal and regulatory frameworks mm. with principles. So these principles would then sort of cascade um, to your legal and regulatory environment. And that's the work that we kind of would need to work on um, now as, as the technology develops and as players in these industries start to get familiar with what can be done um, with this technology. Hmm. Lee, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I think Adil has covered the main points. I think that there's just a couple of things that it's important to think about when you you know, to, to Adila's point around that often these laws exist already and there's already sort of an environment that protects society and people from harm of technology, whether it's AI or not. And you know, kind of, yeah. and I think there's been a little bit of a, a, a rush to see AI as something quite different and unique. Um, and in some ways, I, I agree that it possibly is because it behaves in different ways. But fundamentally, we, we don't. We should see it as just another form of interaction with technology and society. And in doing so, we already have existing mechanisms and processes. Um, I think the really important point is, and we use language like, um, we need to establish guardrails. We need to figure out what we need to protect, but not wrap a 
a guardrail around the whole thing and say, look, AI is just too scary and dangerous to figure out, so let's kind of you know not do it at all. Let's guardrail yeah. what we know to be things that uh, we don't want to see it in, and then you know think about safety mechanisms where risks occur. You know, when we're going to use AI in places where there's potential risk, uh, and it's important to think about the risk of not the risk of the setting, but the risk of the use case. I'll give you an example. And like in healthcare, you know, there's a, clearly a risk of using AI in prescriptive healthcare for individuals. There are things that could all go wrong. But you might also want to use AI to help manage the rostering process for doctors and nurses and medical staff. And that's a very low risk because that's rostering, right. not healthcare. And it's just making sure we balance that right. I, I want to touch on the issue of bias. Um, and I know this is not part of the questions that I sent you guys, but I think it's an important thing that we need to touch on, particularly when it comes to things like uh, insurance coverage. Um, a human being, you know, can, can look at a, a potential policy and apply emotion to whether or not that person should be covered or not. Um, obviously, AI can't do that. Um, it, it follows a certain set of rules and guidelines. It's, it's a yes or no decision. Uh, and I suppose that comes up a, a lot in these kind of discussions. How do you kind of approach these decisions and these discussions when it comes to something that is often as nuanced as that, uh, Lee? Uh, it's, uh, again, it's like your opening question. It's, it, there's so much in there because the, what you're really touching on is the very essence of what do we want from AI? Yeah. How do we want AI to be integrated into our lives? Because there's two sides to that. There is the absolutely... We want it to be like us, which means it's fallible and untrusted and emotional and will make decisions randomly and kind of just like a human. Or we want it to be more intelligently mechanical and just look at the data for the sense of the data and just by which case bias comes yeah. into it. I think the best way to think about that is ground ourselves in this idea of, and, and I mean speaking for me as, in, as a citizen of the planet, also as an employee at Microsoft, that fundamentally... AI is a tool that we seek as human beings to use to, to make our lives yeah. better. And by that very definition, humans are the decision makers, AIs are the decision support tools. You know, the AI helps us get to information, into knowledge, and into sort of this intersection of, in, of knowledge in far better ways than we can as human mm. beings. But we as a human being ultimately make those decisions. And so that's where you see kind of in that, you know, the nuance of, the insurance business, as you mentioned, which has for many years used technology to do the sort of the balance of, of um, priorities. Mm. But at the end of the day, if human beings makes a decision, says, I will or won't insure that person, or we will or won't make a case for that mm. person. So I think that's that's true of, of AI still, in that we want a human being to be ultimately the arbiter of decision making and to be the, you know, the human in the loop. But what it sort of leads us to then is these bigger questions of, how do we make sure that the process we operate ensures that happens always? And that's where you get to things like um, organizations that want to establish AI ethical guidelines or governance into their business. Where does that sit? Because it can't sit with the people that make the technology because they're making a technology ethical decision. Yeah. This is the best technology I can yeah. build. And it doesn't sit with the people who run the business because they they're making the business opportunity growth decision that's biased towards mm -hmm. profits and mm -hmm. so on. You almost have to have this sort of agnostic third-party organization within the organization that simply looks at the point of view of what is the right thing to do. And it doesn't have an investment in the outcome of revenue and it doesn't have an investment in the outcome of technology. It just looks at the problem that way. Because bias is, ine is inevitable yeah. and you can't really eradicate it from data, but you can capture it as a mechanism of influencing the outcome. 
and then make a decision whether that bias is something that needs to be removed mm. or a, or kind of land on or just simply needs a human oversight. Mm. So I don't know if I necessarily answered your question in the sense of how do we do it, but I think it's such a nuanced piece that the only thing you can hold yourself accountable to is this is a tool for human beings to do better things in the world and we should always look at it through the lens of humans are in control. Right. Okay. Adila? I wonder if I could just add a little bit to that because – uh, Lee does have a technology background. So there are things that people without that background might not know. For example, there are tools, there are metrics that you can use, for example, to measure things like bias, for example, d depending on, on you know, the situation and what kind of activity you're doing. Um, and also a lot of perhaps some of the ways of mitigating things are exactly to Lee's first point, the way in which you're using that tool. So there needs to be the right knowledge of whether the tool you're using is appropriate for the use. That can also be a mitigating factor. Mm, okay. Uh, I need to take a short break here, folks. I'm on the line with Lee Hicken, the AI technology policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adila Junid, Director of Legal and Government Affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. We're looking into the rapidly evolving world of artificial intelligence, uh, giving us their insights on how Microsoft is leading the way in responsible AI governance, especially focusing on the Asian market. Uh, we'll be right back in a few moments here on Resource Center on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Resource Center. I'm Rich Bradbury. This is your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools to better build, scale, and manage your business. And of course, today, uh, we're going into the rapidly evolving world of artificial intelligence yet again. I'm here with two guests from Microsoft. I have Lee Hicken, the AI technology and policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adila Junid, the director of legal and government affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. And of course, that's a topic we want to kind of touch on a little bit. Collaborate with governments, of course, it is um, a very important thing, especially within this region. In what ways are Microsoft collaborating with local governments to help shape policies and frameworks for responsible AI here in the Southeast Asian region? Um, can you provide examples of, of some of these collaborations that are happening here in Malaysia or in other Asian countries? Some I'm guessing you can talk about and others I'm guessing you probably cannot talk about right now. But whatever you can, um, let us behind that screen a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to share with you a little bit on how Microsoft has the great sort of privilege, right, to work with some of our public sector stakeholders. And then maybe Lee can share a little bit about how we're doing this more broadly. So in Malaysia... Um, I think one thing I'd really like to um, recognize is uh, recently a prime minister actually launched a AI for Rakyat, AI untuk Rakyat, which translates into, you know, AI for the citizens or for the people. And yeah. I think that's really important in recognizing the transformative impact of AI and how if we have a whole of nation sort of approach towards embracing it as a tool for the whole nation to kind of prosper, right, and, and, and uplift ourselves, that really sort of sets the tone. And this kind of is an insight into how there are multiple stakeholders in Malaysia that are involved in the various aspects of this technology. So I think the, the um, most prominent one would probably be the Ministry of uh, Science, Technology and Innovation. So yeah. they uh, were responsible for developing the AI Roadmap 
which it jointly, uh, National AI Roadmap, which it jointly launched with the then Economic Planning Unit, which is now the Ministry of Economy. And we had the great um, privilege of being a collaborating private organization um, for that AI Roadmap. And there are multiple organizations from private sector, public sector, academia and that. Um, and as you might have noticed, there's been a lot of talk about Malaysia um, exploring some form of AI guidance or mm-hmm. AI kind of, you know, um, regulation or guidance. Um, and that's also something that um, we are speaking with stakeholders about. And we're really glad to see this um, approach welcoming input from the private sector, which is really very critical because a lot of the innovation and the technology does come from the private sector. So having that collaboration into understanding developments, understanding the approaches that some of the private sector players take, what are the tools and the resources available and how this can sort of inform what we might want to do as a national approach Mm -hmm. um, and very, very helpful. And recently with our new Ministry of Digital, I really hope that this collaboration and dialogue can uh, go even further um, to make sure that really at the end of the day, we have a really great national approach. Yeah. Um, Lee. I I mean, Adil has covered definitely what's going on in Malaysia, uh, but I think more broadly what I can share with you is what's promising to know is that not all of this has just happened on the back of ChatGPT in in the last 12 months. So uh, yep. over the, since back 2019, um, the Australian government has been establishing, well, at least the New South Wales state government, established a, a working body on building what they call an AI assurance framework. So one of the first things that governments was trying to figure out was, at least in Australia, was how do we use AI ourselves in a way that is safe and reliable so that as we then build citizen services that we can you know, build on that. And so we've been lucky. I've been lucky to be on the advisory committee for that assurance framework since its inception in 2019. And we still meet now today and, and help the government figure out and navigate that journey around how and where to bring AI into government systems. Because I think fundamentally one of the things that government has the opportunity to do is to demonstrate to populations how it can lead the way in terms of thinking about safety and reliability. Um, mm-hmm. and, in, and in more recent times, the Singapore government, who've been a longstanding, you know, kind of early adopter of technologies, as you, as you know, um, they established the AI Verify Foundation, which was more mechanically about actually as a government, how do we build systems so that uh, businesses within our country can build AI tools that are in some way they know have been assessed to be safe in some way, or at least met some bar right. of safety. And again, uh, yep. privileged in myself and myself to be on that process to help shape some of that. So I think to Adila's point, it just really plays this idea that the relationships that tech companies like us and others have with government has really shifted in the AI world because we're far more collaboratively trying to work together on solving the kind of the, the problem, if you like, or the opportunity space versus, yeah. you know, yeah. the kind of this sort of independent thinking and, and, and working in separate rooms. And that sounds really kind of inspiring because for a a long time you would see public and private and governments sat on opposite sides of the room often battering heads you know we want this yet we want this and what is this seems to be genuinely a meeting of minds so to speak about how do we make this technology useful for everybody in the long term it is and i think you know the risk of being a little bit too much like a microsoft person speaking about this topic but i think it's really important to because I'm quite proud of the fact I, you know, I came back to Microsoft. I left Microsoft and came back on the basis of this ambition as a company that we don't 
We want to be part of the voices in the room that's solving the problems for the future. We don't right. want to be just a tech company building technology and putting it out there. There's a there's an ambition to also help shape that world yeah. that is going to be developed and wrapped around you know the socio-technological technological world we're building. And so, yeah, I feel like we're doing as much as we can, and there's always more to be done, but there's as much as we can be doing today to be mm. an active voice in the, the practical side of AI as well as the technology side of AI. Okay. Just before we head into another break, uh, and I always say that as if it's going to be a, a quick and simple answer before we take a break, but the question is not a quick and simple question. It's about AI and legal frameworks. And um, you guys obviously are the right people to be talking to right now. Um, this intersection between AI development and legal frameworks. Adila, we kind of touched uh, somewhat on this last time we had you on the show. Can you just talk to me briefly about some of the specific challenges or, or even opportunities um, that you face here in Malaysia when it comes to looking at these legal frameworks, helping to develop these legal frameworks? Yeah. So, yeah, this is. I spoke a little bit about this when we first started, which is that I think the key point is is that AI isn't some standalone thing that comes along and then needs a separate regulator and a separate body and a separate law to manage it as an independent sort of being, right? It's a tool that each of us or each industry might want to adopt in the way that it does its business or its activity. So to that extent, the legal frameworks that are already in place are what you'd first turn to because they're already governing how you how you give credit, how you provide medical coverage, um, that, that sort of thing is already regulated. And so we look to that to be still the main basis on which these activities are regulated. And then what it is, is that when we start with something like the AI principles, those are high level principles that are to a certain extent universal, regardless of what sector or even what country, what sort of legal, legal framework um, that you have in place. And so recognizing that, I think it becomes something that is a bit more doable to adopt those principles in how you might regulate your sector or how you might develop policy for your sector. Now, I think I am oversimplifying it to a certain extent because um, regulating how you use technology in your sector is something that does require quite a lot of um, knowledge and understanding and collaboration between the policymaker, regulator and um, private sector players as well. And, and as you know, sorry to interrupt that, but um, laws and uh, frameworks here in, in Malaysia and, and anywhere often take time to come into practice. And if when things change, um, it's back to the drawing board. We have to re-look at new laws, new frameworks and there, there's stuff happening out there right now that if we, even if we look at copyright law for AI produced artwork, for example, you know, who owns that copyright? It, and that's, this is kind of where we kind of get stumped. And this technology is moving so quickly that we don't know where AI is going to be in six months time, one year's time, two years time. How difficult might it be as we see AI develop to think, oh, well, we should change that law, or maybe we need to look ahead and make sure there's more of an all-encompassing law or framework, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I think I'd love Lee to to chip in here, but what I would say is that um, because we already have a lot of laws and regulatory frameworks in place of the key activities that we're already pursuing, whether or not that's yeah. supported with the use of AI, 
then we should really sort of take the time to understand what any broader um, or cross-cutting approach should be developed. This is still happening at the global level. Um, yeah. And as, as you mentioned, technology is still developing uh, very rapidly. So taking the time to understand and formulate the right approach in conversation and dialogue with all the right stakeholders, I think would be very critical. Yeah, I, I, I think you, Adila, really landed the key point there, which is taking time and consideration. I think one of the challenges we always have is, um, you know, there's a sort of a desire to build law because law enforces some level of safety and protection and creates these boundaries, but law becomes rigid and hard and unable to move. And, we're, and, and we are really in this very early stages of AI. Um, you know, I... I, I I shudder at paraphrasing it, but there's something Jeff Bezos said recently when he was interviewed on this topic, and I quite like the framing of it, because he talks about the fact that we have sort of, we haven't invented AI, we've discovered it. And we're still, with a discovery model, we're still figuring out where it goes, whereas when it's invented, you kind of build it, and that's where it is, and then kind of add to it. The fact that we're discovering more and more what it's, what's possible, and by when we discover what's possible, we sort of encroach into new and different areas of legislation, law, and policy, I think we just have to start to think about being a bit more malleable, more so than we have perhaps in the past with these kinds of things, to think about what do we really want to shape as we go forward. So let's not move too quickly to create a law that suddenly becomes difficult to act. And I think, you know, that's one of the interesting challenges that our friends in Europe are going to be faced with is the establishment of an AI act already at this early stage He's going to set the tone for how AI flourishes and prevents, provides all that opportunity, you know. And I think that's going to be an interesting dichotomy for the Europeans to figure out: is how do we now capture the opportunity because we've built the guardrails already? Yeah, something to watch out for, certainly. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, another short break and then uh, into our final talk set. Folks, I'm here with uh, two representatives of Microsoft. I have Lee Hicken, the AI technology and policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adela Junid, the director of legal and government affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. We're speaking, of course, about the rapidly evolving world of artificial intelligence. We're speaking about how Microsoft are leading the way in responsible AI governance and looking at how their principles are being implemented within the organization and uh, looking at some of the challenges and opportunities of aligning AI with ethical and legal frameworks. We'll be right back after these messages. If you want to get in touch, get us on our U-Mobile uh, WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. We are on X at BFM Radio. We'll be right back here on BFM 89.9. Bloggers for Malaysia. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Resource Center. This is the show. Uh, it's your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools uh, to better build, scale, and manage your business. One of the tools, of course, that we are talking about today, and it is a tool, just remember that, is uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm speaking with Lee Hicken, the AI technology and policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adila Junid, the director of legal and government affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. Um, very, very quick. Quickly, then, I just want quickly want to look at the um, the tech stack uh, and um, AI development. Lee, can you just elaborate a little bit about Microsoft's tech stack and how it supports the development of responsible AI, uh, particularly in terms, I guess, of security and reliability? Yeah, uh, great, great question and an important point because the tech stack is probably not as widely understood as it could be. Because as you, you're sort of alluding to, there's everything from 
the physical hardware, and your, your listeners have probably heard about the challenges of the physical hardware required to do a lot of the training and building the models. And that hardware needs a home in these data centers. And then these data centers need uh, the software and the operations, the models, yeah. the algorithms and the data that goes into that. And then ultimately building applications that service out that AI experience to, to users in some way. And, and then all of those layers require some degree of responsibility. If you sort of think about it from the from the hardware and the data center point of view, we need to think about not just the um, safety and security of the physical hardware, but also the environmental and sustainability footprint of that and what it means long term. Yeah. In the model and the data layer in the middle, you've got to really think about uh, the, the sourcing of the data and the safety and the, and the sort of the, the, the validity of that data for the model you're trying to achieve. Um, you've also got to think about protecting the model weights. And for those who are familiar with it, the weights are the, essentially the, the cold dust of the model, the bit that actually trained the model's intelligence, if you like, and that becomes a, a very important cybersecurity risk. And then as you go up the stack into the application, then it's about how do you deploy that model safely and with some degree of, of trust exchange with users. And something I think we might have mentioned earlier is transparency. Yeah. Transparency reports. And so for us, one of that responsible AI pieces is all of the pieces of the puzzle getting up to the point of building the app. And then when we build something that is AI enabled, publishing a transparency report that goes with that app that teaches people who are going to use it, not just what it does, but what it is not capable of doing. And this is the really the big challenge is being able to, as a vendor, document the limitations of your product is an unusual position to be in. But with AI, that's a really important point. Absolutely. Uh, to be able to say what the product can't do. Yeah. Uh, so people don't use it for the wrong purposes. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. I suppose the, the, the question that I need to wrap up on then is, um, and we kind of touched on it tangentially, I guess, is the future of AI governance. Um, <laughs> and future trends that you might see in the, in the field of um, AI governance. And I'm sure you, you know, you guys are obviously having these conversations behind closed doors or, or perhaps in uh, meetings like this um, about what you might see in the future and how do you prepare for something like that? Do you, do you want me to take a stab at it, uh, Adila, and then you can add in any thoughts please on it? Do, Fantastic. So it's a really hard topic. You know, nobody likes to predict the future and even less so predict the future of AI because, you know, we didn't know what it was going to do 20 minutes ago, let alone in the next day, uh, next 12 months. Um, yeah. But I think, look, when you specifically on governance, because the, the field of AI technology is almost you know, too broad, I think what we want to see and what we're working towards is a future where we can develop these sort of global accords on AI. I, I love this idea that you think locally but act globally when it comes to AI governance. And as you know, as a country, it's a really important for Malaysia to think about what's important for Malaysians and Malaysian people and Malaysian yeah. culture and Malaysian society, but also remember that Malaysia operates on a global on a global stage and has the opportunity for Malaysian businesses to be engaged on a global platform with AI in ways that were perhaps never possible with you know, pre-AI. So really good to see things like the UN advisory body, uh, and we're quite proud of the fact that we have uh, Natasha Crumpton, our chief responsible AI officer, sits on that, that board. Uh, we've got the um, OECD collaborating on that platform. And of course, we've had work like the Hiroshima AI process out of the G7, the uh, UK Safety Summit, and the, and the work that comes out of that. So I think we're on a future pathway to think about this as a global, um, a globally equitable or globally coherent approach to AI. But every country is going to need to think about their citizens' needs because it is very much about meeting the needs of your society and where you are on that socio-technical development path. 
but making sure we don't shut yeah. the door to this opportunity that I think sits in front of Malaysian businesses to really kind of create something uh, on the basis of AI that puts them competing on the global stage in perhaps ways they weren't uh, previously. Lovely. Thank you, Lee. Yeah, no, Adela. thank you so much for setting that context, Lee. So if I could add um, from Malaysia, as I, as I mentioned before, right, we do have a lot of laws already in place that essentially would end up governing the use of AI to the extent that AI is used in how those air regulated areas um, are in fact regulated. And so to that extent, that's our sort of current assurance that we have locally right now that basically, you know, these things are already in place. And then as Leah mentioned, at the global level, developments are still taking place. And we are, to a certain extent, already involved as a country in those conversations, right? So for example, the UN advisory committee that um, uh, Lee mentioned, that's a, a UN advisory co committee and we're part of the UN and the regional level as well. There are lots of, sort of conversations um, and cooperative um, approaches taking place to developing how we approach AI governance. Um, and so for that, I think just continuing to be part of that regional and global sort of conversation and making sure that we keep abreast and uh, cognizant of the developments taking in that area, I think is is a you know wonderful thing for Malaysia to, to keep on doing. And I think one thing I, I did want to mention is that apart from governance, there's also that sort of strategic approach towards AI, right? Which I think we've been a fantastic yeah. start in Malaysia with that recognition from the prime minister himself. But you know, it's a technology that we really should embrace mm -hmm. and not you know risk being left behind. And it's an opportunity for us to get ahead on this. So I think that's actually a very important thing to remember. So baseline regulations are in place. Global sort of regulatory approach still being developed and we're part of that conversation. And locally, we have this strategy that, yes, this is something that can really help us grow and meet our national aspirations. So I think we're pretty much in a good position and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing developments. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure I'll be speaking to you guys uh, again in the near future. Um, so make sure you have your cameras ready next time, Lee. <laughs> and Adila. Uh, folks, of course, you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools to better build, scale, and manage your business. I've been speaking with Lee Hicken, the AI technology and policy lead for Microsoft Asia, and Adila Junid, Director of Legal and Government Affairs for Microsoft Malaysia. If you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast shortly wherever you normally get it from. I recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store. For Resource Center and for BFM, my name is Rich Bradbury here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.